With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Boys and girls, welcome to the show. It's much later than normal, and I am extremely tired. So this might be a short show and a rambly show, but I'll do the best I can. Right now in the World Cup, Uruguay are beating Ghana two goals to nil, and in the other game, South Korea are 
drawing 1-1 with Portugal. It is half-time in both games. That'll give you an idea of when we're recording this. Should have been recorded this morning at 10 o'clock, but, you know, people just demand so much. Right. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about Fulham, and we have some questions from yesterday. So let's jump into those. We have questions from Alex... Questions from Ron. Funnily enough, this man's name on Discord is Ron Burgundy. And this morning, one of the things I had to do, I was at the house of the man who directed Anchorman and Anchorman 2. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, And also we have a question from AMK2889. I'm going to start with that one. How highly would you rate the possibility that when the 2026 World Cups comes World Cup comes around, Klopp is managing Germany, Mourinho for Portugal, Pep for Spain, Zidane for France, and Ancelotti for Italy. If this were to happen, what matchups would you enjoy the most? What World Cup would you say had the best managers in charge at the time? And finally, who would you get to replace Greg Berhalter? There is no chance that Jurgen Klopp will manage Germany at the 2026 World Cup, but I do believe he could take over after the 2026 World Cup. His contract with Liverpool runs until 2026. Germany will want their World Cup manager in situ from 2024. Now, it is possible that Hansi Flick goes now, so it may be a new manager coming in. Who that would be, I don't know. The Freiburg manager is one that stands out as somebody that would be well-deserving of such an opportunity. They want to give him at least one full World Cup cycle. So there's no chance of Klopp with Germany in 2024. Mourinho with Portugal, though, I do think there's a chance of. I think Jose might look to step back from club football, not at the end of this season, but the end of next season. Remember, year three with Roma is where things tend to go dread. Year three with any club is where things tend to go dreadfully poorly for Jose. So I'm guessing that at some point next season, he'll have an explosive row and results will go into the toilet and he'll be out of work through the Euros. And then I think he might take the Portugal job. Um, Pep for Spain, I don't see it yet. I think that will be his last job. I could see Pep though, looking at another international job, which is, well, actually, I think there's two he could look at. I think he'd love to manage Brazil. I don't know that Pep's brand of football would be all that popular in Brazil because it can be quite dull. Now, it's incredibly effective and incredibly good, but it can be a little bit repetitive and dull. And Brazil is all about that free-flowing nature and, you know, off-the-cuff style of play. So I think he'd love to manage Brazil. I think he'd really like to manage the U.S. as well. Now, I don't think he'd be the one to replace Greg Berhalter because he's signing on to stay at City for a couple more years. But maybe... Pep for the US job in 2026 is something to look at. Uh, Zidane, I think, will be the French manager. And I actually do think Carlo could well be the Italy manager as well. And I think Carlo's really well suited to international football. In fact, of this group, 
he may well be the one best suited to international football. I think Zidane will do well with France because the talent dictates that you do well. There's so much ability in their ranks in almost every position. The only positions they're not loaded in, I would say, right back, though Malo Gusto is going to solve that problem for a decade, and goalkeeper. Now, Mike Magnon is excellent, so if he can stay fit, he'll become the keeper after this World Cup. Albin Lafont needs to take that big step forward. A lot has been expected of him since he kind of burst onto the scene at 16, 17. And he's had an up and down career to date. Now, he has some outstanding performances over the last 18 months for nonce, but then he has some really rough outings. He's still young. I think he's 23. But I think he's the big hope for them, the long-term hope. Centre-back loaded, midfield loaded, attack loaded, wingers loaded. There's a good crop of left-backs behind Theo Hernandez. Right back, obviously they're playing Kunde and Pavard there. They're both more naturally more centre-backs. But I'd be inclined to just stick with Kunde until Gusto is ready. And Kunde then might decide he wants to stay at right back when he realises that the path in the middle is not going to be all that easy. Because Ibu Kanate is taking one of those spots. And that will be his for a long time. And the other one will come down to Fafana, Saliba... Lacroix, Badi Chile, and uh, uh, Lukaba, the one at Lyon, and there's a bunch of others as well. So Kunde, while he might want to play in the middle, might be better off staying at right back. Um, of those, let's say those management duels did happen where Klopp went to Germany, Mourinho went to Portugal, etc. I would really look forward to seeing. Klopp's Germany against Zidane's France. Now, Zidane will have a huge talent advantage, but I'd just be really interested to see how it would, how Klopp's methods would translate to international football. Um, I think Ancelotti's Italy versus Mourinho's Portugal. Mourinho would have the big talent advantage there, but I do think that could be a very interesting game. I think Carlo's made for international football. In terms of who to replace Greg Berhalter with. I think you need to appoint someone with the view of this is the guy that's going to lead us into the next World Cup that we're hosting. Now, you look at the current squad and most of it will be mid to late 20s. So pre-prime and prime come that World Cup. So that's a very exciting thing because there's an awful lot of talent. And when you factor in in four years, kids that are now 14, 15 will be 18, 19. There could be a couple of real superstars on the way with the way this generation by generation improvement is happening with American football. I think the best person they could appoint is Roberto Mancini. If he decides to step away from the Italian national team, I think Mancini could be excellent for the next World Cup. Because when you look at the job he did, now I know they didn't get to the World Cup and that does fall on him, but look at the job he did with Italy 
leading up into that Euros and through the Euros. And look at the belief he built in that squad and the way they overcame adversity. They lost a couple of important players through injury and they just kept chugging along. And he built real partnerships all over the team. I think Ancini, who speaks fluent English, who has, I think, the personality and the gravitas to walk into a dressing room and players will automatically respect him for what he's done as a manager. Now, they might not be familiar with his playing career at this point, but he was a hell of a player as well. And when they see him on the training ground and he's better than all of them, then they'll respect him from that angle as well. Now, if it was me, he's the one. If he decides to walk away from the Italian job, he is the one I would be looking at for the next World Cup. And then I'd be looking at Pep. Then I'd be throwing all of the money at Pep. Because in four years, Pep, who frequently speaks about burnout and who already owns a home in America, spends a lot of time in America, I think his wife and kids might still live in America. Pep is 51. By 2026, he'll be 56. It wouldn't surprise me if he was ready to step away from club football. And I think a project like the US, where he can put his brand of football, not just into the senior team, but all the way down through the youth levels of US football, I think that kind of project would really interest him traveling around, setting up a proper structure with major national academies all over the country that draw in the best young players and develop them in a uniform way with one goal, to funnel the best to the top. I think Pep would be very much on board with that. It would cost a lot. He doesn't come cheap. But I think he'd be on for it. And there's no doubt the money's there. Let's be honest. There's more money than than sense in America when it comes to all sports. So, yeah, I, I would go Mancini right now. If you can get him, he's the one I'd go for. If you can't... I think you want someone that plays a semi-attractive style of football, but is also pragmatic and because you want to make an impact in your own world cup of course so they're making an impact at this world cup and fair play to bear halter he's getting out of his own way most of the time but if if mancini's not available i might just see if hansi flick if he walks away from the german job might just see what he's up to because he could be a really good appointment but I would build everything towards getting Pep in 2026. Um, right. Ron Burgundy. <clears throat> build the ultimate match you would want to go to. It would have to be in my back garden for a start. Um, no. Pick the 11 for each team, the venue, day of the week, the time, the weather, the referee, the managers, uh, the concessions, <laughs> the stakes of the game. 
Um, right. We'll go European Cup final. We'll go the new Camp, which I think is one of the real cathedrals of football. We're going to go old school managers, though, because this is this is me. This is my choice. So the players will be modern, but the managers, I'm going to reach back a little bit. I'm going to go Otmar Hitzfeld. And I'm going Fabio Capello. I'm going to pick players that are currently playing, though. I'm not going to look back at, at older players. So... Hitzfeld liked a keeper that was comfortable with his feet. So we'll go with Alison Becker for him. And Capello would love Thibaut Courtois. Big, dominant, physical goalkeeper, incredible shot stopper, big personality. I think he'd like him. Capello's defenders are primarily defenders that's what he wants from them so he's going to want a right back that isn't Trent he's going to want a right back that's more of a Tassotti type a Christian Panucci type a Jonathan Zabina type so I'm going to go Jules Kunde as his right back And I'll go Lucas Hernandez as his left wing back, as his left back. Centre backs, he likes a stopper and a sweeper type. So he wants a front footed defender and a reaction, like a, a proactive and a reactive defender. That's generally the pairing he likes. Think Costa Curta and Berezi. Now, I know it wasn't him that put that together, but he. He mastered it. They got better defensively when he took over. So I think he would love Marquinhos. I, I think Marquinhos was actually built in a lab for, for Capello. So we'll go with him. And then as the stopper type, you're looking at someone more aggressive, more front-footed, I think Ruben Diaz is probably the fit. Now, I don't think Ruben Diaz is an elite defender and I don't want him in my game because remember, this is my game. So I'm going to go for the next best thing, which I think is Milan Skriniar. And Skriniar might actually be a better defender as well. So we'll go with him. Hitzfeld is playing a back three. He's playing a sweeper. So, if you think of the team he won the European Cup with, with Dortmund, he had Matthias Zammer, 
But if he, when he won it with Germany, he had Patrick Anderson, who's more of a centre-back who swept rather than a midfielder who burst into midfield. So we're going to go with more of the Patrick Anderson approach and it's going to be Virgil. From there, he likes centre-backs who can switch out and play full-back if needed. And his holding midfielder would often drop in to form a back two with Anderson and the centre-backs would go to full-back. Marcus Babel, Thomas Helmer, that, those type of players. Um, again, Kunde and, and, and Hernandez would actually be ideal here. But I'm going to go Gvardiol, who I'm exceptionally high on. And I'm going to go Jury and Timber. Trent will be the right wing back for Hitzfeld. And Theo Hernandez will be the left wing back. Although Alfonso Davies is really worth a shout here. Do you know when you watch players and they do something that for them is run of the mill, but it kind of blows your mind just a little bit? Like if anyone watched, I assume a lot of you watched France versus Denmark, there was that moment where Griezmann played a ball in behind the defence and Mbappe just turned on the Jets and he was moving past that Danish back line as if they were walking. He didn't look like he was sprinting, but he was moving at an incredible speed. I was watching the Canada game against Morocco. And Morocco broke on a counter-attack. And from absolutely nowhere, having chased 40, 50 yards, Alfonso Davies just overtook everybody, got back, took the ball away, and started Canada going back in the other direction. It was genuinely staggering. I think I'll go Theo, though, because I think he's a better crosser of the ball. And we're looking for crossing here from the wingbacks. Um, Hitzfeld likes a, a centre-back, uh, a, a holding midfielder who can drop in at centre-back. Rodri is the best pick for him. Next to him, he likes a midfielder who can dictate the game. So he had Paolo Sosa, as an example, at Dortmund. He had Effenberg with, um, with Bayern, but also a midfielder that's a little bit combative and you know, not afraid to roll their sleeves up and get stuck in. Thiago is the best in the world at that. He is the best controlling midfield player on the planet. So it, it has to be him. Then he wants a 10, but he wants a goal-scoring 10. He wants somebody with a bit of pace who can lead a counter-attack, who plays a lot more in straight lines. Mario Basler did that job for him really, really well with Bayern. Andreas Muller had done it incredibly well with Dortmund. There isn't really that type of player in the modern game. The the 10 is kind of dying off. KDB is probably the best option because it would be a good use of him. So I'll just go with KDB. Up front, he does like a bit of a battering ram, a bit of a bulldozer. 
So he's getting Haaland. And the second forward is generally someone who can both be a poacher and also shift into wide areas. So, I mean, Salah's the best in the world at that, so we'll just go with Salah. So there's Hitzfeld's team put together. Allison, Timber, Virgil, Gradiol, Trent, Rodri, Thiago, Teo, KDB, Salah and Haaland. Back to Capello's 11. I'm not in love with Milan Skriniar. Do you know what? I'm going to put Ibu Kanate into this team instead. I'm going to go Ibu next to Marquinhos. I am going to be a little bit Liverpool biased, obviously, but that's what I'm going to go with. Um, in midfield, he's looking for a really powerful, dynamic all-round midfielder, someone like Marcel Desailly. The closest thing in the current game is Chouameni. So we'll go with him. Next to him, he's looking for someone that will sit in and dictate the game. Albertini. Ruben Neves is probably the closest thing terms of passing range, he's good defensively, not the most mobile, but he's very, very clever. Tony Cruz, but he's a little bit past his best. Locatelli could do that role really well. But I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Ruben Never. No, do you know what? I'm not. I'm gonna go with Enzo Fernandez. I think Enzo would be unbelievably good in that kind of role. Now, he's a little bit more mobile, so that helps as well. He generally goes with a central midfielder and a winger in his wide roles. So Donadoni was the kind of primary one he used at Milan. Now, at, at different clubs, he's done different things. You know, he's played a back three at uh, Real Madrid. He played a back three at Roma. Um, for for a time, not the whole time he was there, but when he went with his four four two, which was his preferred shape, he generally played a more central midfielder. So the one I'm thinking that's perfect for this role is Federico Valverde. So I'm going to play him on the right, and then he did like having a winger, but it was a real hard working grafter of a winger. So he used Camerunese there at Juve. He used Zambrotta there before he converted him to a fullback. Uh, at Milan, he'd used Donadoni. So a hardworking winger. Like I'd love to... Vinicius is probably the best. Vinicius has to be in this team. as I think about it, Vinicius has to be in the team. Because he's a really special player. No, do you know who it is? It's Kavicha. Because that boy graphs. 
Up front, he likes a nine and a quick one. A quick freak athlete, ideally. Mbappe is a quick freak athlete. And there's nine. Victor Osman. So, Courtois, Kunde, Canate, Marquinhos, Lucas Hernandez, Valverde, Chuameni, Enzo Fernandez, Kavicha, Osman, and Mbappe. I think that's, I think that's a hell of a game. At the new camp, Hitzfeld's team has one, two. Three, four, has five Liverpool players in it. So it is Liverpool. And Capello's team has one, two, three. Three Real Madrid players. So it is Real Madrid. Which likely means more pain for Liverpool. But um, I do think that would be I think that will be a lot of fun. Um, midweek, none of this Saturday nonsense. I want it on a Wednesday night. No, we can put it on a Saturday. We put it Saturday night under the lights. 8 p.m. kickoff. We're bringing the great man, Pierre Luigi Colina, is coming out of retirement. He's 62. I reckon he could still do a job for me as the referee. With VAR now, he'd have a little bit of help. So Kalina is the referee. Um, and the weather, I want a good day. I want I want decent heat. Not overly powering, but 8, 8 p.m. should be all right. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Now, last bit is... From Alex. Um, how much would Foller and Balogun change the outlook of this US men's national team? I think substantially. And I think they are absolutely mad if they're not banging down his door to try and get him to commit to play for the US men's national team. Now, I know he switched allegiance at under 18. Uh, when he went, at, he was England 17, US 18, England 18, though didn't play for them. England 20, he's been great for the England 21s. Having an excellent season for Reims. I genuinely would be, I'd be offering him bags of money under the table, to be honest. Because you've got to find a couple of striker options. Now, Ricardo Pepe will be one. He's the next... He he's the other great option that they have right now. And let's be honest, he's not going to get in the England team anytime soon. He's just not. But what they'll do is they'll call him up and cap him to block him playing elsewhere. Uh he's also eligible, I believe, to play for Nigeria. He's talked about potentially playing for Nigeria. But I would be calling him up for the first the first game. First of all, I'd be going to visit him to talk him into it. And I'd be calling him up for the first game after the World Cup. And I'd be calling him up for every game after that. Him and Pepe, either as a pair 
or you know one starts one comes off the bench they're the two you you develop those two in your system and if your system needs to be altered you alter your system uh would he fit in burhalter's system probably not because he's like burhalter's system really does kind of like a josh Sargent up front like a grafter um but I, I don't care change it the four three three will work with him though. Does Yunus Musa walk into the right side at eight role for Liverpool, assuming they sign nobody else for that role? Yes. I also think that in the longer term, I think he could be a great left side at eight. I think if you look at him and Caicedo, they're the two I really want. They could begin as eights. And if, look, you could buy if you bought those two at Enzo Fernandez. Enzo could play the six and run the game with those two going box to box either side of him and just being absolute, you know, demons taking the ball off the opposition. You could play Enzo on the right, Caicedo in the middle, and Musa on the left. If it's Jude Bellingham, it has to be Bellingham on the right, Caicedo in the six, and Musa on the left. And I think when you look at Musa, there's a lot of similarities in this game. Obviously, to Alex Oxlade-Chamber, that explosive burst, the way he can pick the ball up and bring it 30 yards before anybody else gets to move. But there's a lot of similarities in this game to Ginny Wijnaldum. Again, that ability to just burst out with the ball, to beat people in close quarters, to get his arse in the way and just hold possession. He's got a decent technical level. He's not a great passer. That needs to be worked on. But he's a clever passer. He doesn't make passes he doesn't think he can complete. A bit like Ginny. And defensively, I think he's got a lot of Ginny. Very, very clever, which is unusual for a kid who's just turned 20. Takes up good positions, blocks off passing lanes. Doesn't commit to try and win, win back balls that he can't get towards. So you don't see him jumping out for interceptions and leaving a hole behind him. I think you look at him and Caicedo, and between them, I think they could do a really good Fabinho, Ginny Wijnaldum 2.0 type of job. So I think he could start on the right for now, but I think you'd look to move him to the left. And in fact, I'd nearly move him to the left straight away and get working on that with him and just play Thiago on the right uh, until I can get Enzo in the summer and then rotate Enzo and Thiago there, rotate... Caicedo, Musa, and Fabinho in the other two positions. That's my core five. And then the rest is just sort of bits and pieces. A bit of Henderson when you, you have to. Um, Curtis Jones, Besetic, you know, that's that's what I'd look to do. Um, why all the hate on old man Reem? I get that he's been largely an average defender. For most of his career, but he's had a really good 18 months and certainly deserves to be the team. He, oh, no, absolutely. He had a good season last year in the Championship. My issue with Tim Ream is that he's been in the Premier League a couple of times before and been god-awful. Now, this season he has done well. And I'll give credit to that both, for that, both to him and Marco Silva, who I think is doing a great job at Fulham. Uh, I think he's been excellent so far in this World Cup. I genuinely do. I think he's been excellent. And I think the Americans along with Morocco, might be the two most impressive defensive units that I've seen. 
Now, much of the credit for the US defensive performance, I think, goes to McKenney, Adams and Musa, who have just not let anybody through. Um, but no, look, fair play. Tim Ream has been excellent in this World Cup and he's had a good season with Fulham so far. He was very good in the championship. I just, there is always a moment of Tim Ream though. And you know the moment I mean. That moment where he just switches off or he gets dragged out 1v1 and just gets exposed. It, it, it happens, you know. It's one of the things that happens with Tim Ream. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a little bit on Fulham, a little bit of gossip, and that's going to be us for today. I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, Fulham Football Club, newly promoted back to the Premier League under Marco Silva, having run roughshod across the Championship last year. Currently ninth in the Premier League. Very, very impressive start to the season. They began with a 2-2 draw with Liverpool, which they were very unfortunate not to win. They then drew 0-0 away to Wolves, which in hindsight doesn't look great because Wolves have been off, but Wolves were playing well at the time. Wolves were playing well until they sacked Bruno Lage, to be fair. Um, they just weren't getting results. Then they beat Brentford 3-2. That was a really good performance. They went ahead, you know, conceded, went ahead, conceded, but kept going, kept going, and got a late Mitrovic goal to win that one. They gave Arsenal a hell of a tough time. Were very unfortunate to lose that game. Didn't deserve to lose it at all. Then they beat Brighton, which was a great result. Uh, They lost 2-1 to Tottenham. They weren't quite as good that day as they had been against Arsenal. Tottenham deserved to beat them on the day. They went to Nottingham, went 1-0 down, scored three goals in six minutes, just blew Nottingham Forest away. Game ends 3-2, so they conceded one late, but it was a really good really good win for them. They got walloped by Newcastle. Newcastle were just walloping every time. They'll be disappointed by the 3-1 loss, to West Ham, but that's probably the best game West Ham have played this season. The Bournemouth draw will annoy them because Bournemouth have fallen off since that game. They beat Villa heavily, 3-0. They put in a great showing against uh, Leeds. Again, they went one down, flew back at them, went 3-1 up, conceded late, but a 3-2 win nonetheless. Uh, a draw at home to Everton. I think they'll be disappointed with that. No shame in losing 2-1 to Man City. But let's be fair, they, they should have won that game. Uh, one all with 60-odd minutes left after the Canseo red card and the Pereira penalty. And yet they managed to throw it away with Haaland scoring late. And then they lost to Manchester United. They just didn't play particularly well on the day. But United, to their credit, Played fairly well. The late goal is what hurts. Overall, this is a much better beginning to the campaign than what we expected. 15 games, five wins, four draws, six defeats. 24 goals scored is really good. Really, really good. 26 conceded is not so good. That's, I know I've just praised Tim Ream um, because he's having a good season, but 26 goals conceded is not so good. You've only got Bournemouth, 
who remember lost the game 9-0, Forrest, who've been walloped a couple of times, and Southampton, who've been walloped a couple of times, uh, who've, who've conceded more goals than you. You've conceded more than Wolves. You've conceded the same as Leeds, and they've been battered a couple of times. Uh, more than Villa, more than Leicester, who had the worst defensive start, I think, through eight games ever. So you've got to tighten up at the back. I really want to see Diop and Tolson. Now, I know why he's playing Ream. He's playing Ream for organisation. But I really want to see what the other two look like together. They've had an issue at right back. It's been a bit of a revolving door because they've had injuries. They brought um, Bapu in the summer and he's just been injured and he hasn't looked great. Um, Kenny Tete has been injured. So that's a problem position is right back. Bernard Leno's been great in goal. And Robinson's been good at left back. In January, they've got to go and solve that right back problem. They've got to go and get a right back in, even if it's a loan, even if it's Juan Basaka on loan, whatever. Get a right back in January. In midfield, Paulinho's been great. Harrison Reed's played okay, but I'd be looking to upgrade on him, find a better version of him to go next to Paulinho. The attack, to be fair, has functioned very, very well. But when there's no Mitrovic, they do look blunt up front. When he plays well, they look devastating. He brings everybody into the game, makes them all better. When he's not there or when he is an off game, it all gets quite clogged. So you're probably going to look for somebody to be a back. And I know they got Carlos Vinicius. And maybe with more game time and a bit more training time through the, the World Cup break, maybe he shows a bit more of his good form after the World Cup. I prioritize right back and one more body in midfield preferably somebody who's an upgrade on Harrison Reed. If, now it is a big if, if Sampdoria decide to cancel Harry Winks's loan, if you can get another loan in, I'd consider it. You've got, well, you've got four, you can't, you've already got two Premier League loans. I'd consider sending Shane Duffy back. Or Manor Solomon. Now, Manor Solomon, I think they're hoping to have back in January, February. He'll help in attack. They've got Dan James, Kurzawa, another option left back, obviously. I consider sending Shane Duffy back and and getting in. Oh, yeah, they can just make the Manor Solomon. No, no, because it's two Premier League loans. So it has to be one of Duffy or James. Maybe you just make Shane Duffy permanent. Maybe just offer a million quid for him and you just get him in. Um, but I, I, if Harry Winks could be got, I think you get him. I think Winks next to a Paulinho, I think that's a pairing that could work. I like what they, like the players they brought in. Paulinho has been great. Pereira has been excellent. Leno's done very well. I think Diop has done quite well. Willian has done much better than expected, at least by me. Uh, Carlos Vinicius, he's been hit and miss. Mbappé, just it's been a disaster because of the injuries. Um, Solomon, he got hurt so early. Dan James had moments. I, I like Dan James as a right winger. Just give it to him, tell him to beat his man and whip the ball across. Don't do anything else. If you even consider doing anything else, you're coming off. Just knock it past that man. Run and whip a cross in. Or we'll knock it past him for you. You just run on to it and whip that cross in. Don't do anything else. Um, focus on right back and midfield. I think they're putting themselves in a great position to stay up. I don't think they'll hold as a top half team. But right now, I think I'd back them to stay up. We'll do the gossip and we're done. 
Atletico Madrid are willing to sell Jao Felix for 100 million euro after signing for 126 million euro in 2019. It's understandable. They will have to take a loss. It hasn't gone great, but 100 million euro can still get you a couple of really good players. So they could turn that into maybe three really good players that might fit what they want more than Jao Felix has ever done. Manchester United are keen, but face competition from Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich. Neither of those clubs need him. They they both need a number nine because Mbappe wants to play off a nine and Bayern have loads of wingers and second strikers, but no nine. United have loads of wingers and second strikers, but no nine. PSG will offer Argentina forward Lionel Messi a formal contract extension after the World Cup. Al-Halil want to beat Saudi rivals Al-Nazar to the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo. Chelsea remain in negotiations over Josko Gvardiol and the Croatian defender has said, maybe one day I'll be there. That's not actually what he said. Um, that is, he was talking with the Premier League, not about Chelsea. Atletico Madrid have made an inquiry about Hagler Sionchu. He would seem like a Simeone-type a Simeone centre-back, but I don't know how long he's going to stay there. Borussia Dortmund managing director Karsten Kramer says they have a good relationship with Jurgen Klopp, but Liverpool will not be getting any gifts when it comes to Jude Bellingham. I wouldn't expect any. Uh, Declan Rice has indicated he wants to leave West Ham. I think this is way out of line, but Rice said I think was way out of line. You're the captain of the team that are currently 16th in the Premier League, stinking the place out. And you're stinking the place out most weeks alongside them. So to come out and say, I've played at a re- I've played really well for the last two or three years. No, you haven't. Maybe when the TV cameras are on. But no, you haven't. You're not fooling anybody. His leadership is a, is a myth. Like no, no captain comes out and does that. And before anyone mentions Harry Kane, he's not the captain of Spurs. Hugo Lloris is. Harry Kane also did it in the summer. In the summer, not in the middle of a season. And not while his team were 16th in the league. And we know Rice's myth, uh, leadership is a myth because we see West Ham fans all the time saying how much they miss Mark Noble on the pitch because there's no leadership there. Uh, Chelsea are rivaling Newcastle to sign Andre Santos. Nah. Nottingham Forest have reached an agreement to sign Brazilian attacking midfielder Gustavo Scarpa. What? My assumption is he will be going on loan to Olympiacos. He's a really good player, though. But I don't know where he plays for them. Like, he plays the same role as Gibbs White currently plays. He, he, might, he might go on loan to Olympiacos. Good signing, though. Uh, Frank Kessie does not feel comfortable at Barcelona, who would consider selling him for as little as 10 million euro. If he's available for 10 million euro, teams will line up around the block to get him. Sergio Busquets has not ruled out a move to MLS and hopes to make a decision about his future by February. Bizarre. Barcelona are interested in Endrick, but will not enter a bid for him this season because they can't afford to. And they're actually afraid to enter bids in case they get accepted at the moment. AC Milan are hopeful, hopeful of tying Rafael Leao down to a new contract. They've got to do that. That should be their priority. Liverpool have held talks about terminating Billy Cometio's loan spell. Uh, he, he's not getting any games with Austria-Vienna, so you might as well bring him back and send him on loan to a League 2 team. 
And that's it. That's me for today. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Take care. See you tomorrow. I'll oh, see you Monday. Bye bye. Podcast Network.